Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, next week, possibly, we'll have a very short little thing that the uh, video team prepared about the 10th year. We are praying about celebrating that, but we may not celebrate it until the 11th year. We'll see. And uh, uh, we're going to be inviting some people for that process. I want to welcome those of you who are online with us right now. And uh, thank you for joining us. If you're at home in this area and you can make it here, we'd love to see you on a Sunday. Otherwise, we're just grateful you're there. For those who are all over the place, uh, we have friends and people that are in Florida, and uh, that's a bit of a testimony. We have those that suffered some and, and those that had miracles where their homes and their places were absolutely salvaged and kept safe in the midst of their whole neighborhood around them being destroyed, their place being preserved. Uh, Gene, uh, who's not here with us, Motorelli, his house all around him destroyed. His house was preserved. Bruce and Becky McKenzie, their place preserved. Uh, Garth Kuntz, not even the power went off. Um, and we have several others of testimony that came in. And I find it and give God all the glory that, that the Lord is preserving his people in that time. Amen. And for those that have suffered some, we want to make sure that, you know, we hold them up in our prayers, and especially those who are grieving over lost ones. They say the count was up to 77. I'm sure it's higher than that. It was devastating. And who've lost their homes and have to start all over, don't have insurance. You know, that's, that's a tough thing to do. And so we want to keep them in prayer. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. I ask you, Lord, to to anoint these words. Let everything that's said and done be true with grace. And Father, instruct us, teach us, edify us, build us up. Help us to coalesce together, Father, in you. Holy Spirit, we yield to you. Thou art welcome in everything that we do in this house. To thy glory and thy glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have come to a place where you were willing to say, you know what? This Christian walks a little too hard for me. I'm giving it up. I'm putting it aside. Hmm? I see a few heads nodding. Yours truly was there. More than once. More than once. Now, I've been in the Lord 42, going on 43 years, and that's not bad for a young guy, is it? But 42 going on 43 years. And there are times when we are rocked to the very lowest level of faith. Isn't that true? And, you know, by the grace of God, maybe hanging on by our fingernails, by a shred of faith that we're not even confessing anymore, the Lord is still holding on to us, preserving us. It's in those moments that I get this vision, this understanding, this revelation as I close my eyes and pierce into the heavenlies and can just imagine Jesus standing before the Father and saying, Father, these are the ones that you gave me. I give them to you. Keep them in your name. John 17. Hold them in your name. And that's when the Lord has already put a spiritual tattoo on you and I and says, mine, mine. Now, there's one teaching, an eschatological teaching, as we get into about the book of life. The book of life was first realized way, way back in the Pentateuch, in the five books of Moses about the book of life. And then the prophets embellished it, and then in Revelation, we know we understand it. Let me say something to you. We're not those whose name gets written into the book of life. There are those whose names get written out of the book of life. Everybody is made in God's image. You were created before the beginning of time in the image of God. That means when the Lord put your spiritual DDA, divine design attributes, not your flesh, in that book, he put a name on it. And he put your name on it. And he put that name before Adam and Eve were created. And that name was already desired and, 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 and deemed 
by God to be created for eternal life with Him as a daughter and a son. And so when they say your name's in the book of life, it's yes, there's a check mark that goes by it and says yes, purchased by the blood. Yes, redeemed by the son. Yes, forever a son and a daughter. Yes, yes, yes. Those happen. But your name's already in the book of life. And when you've come to the Lord and you're born again, now that stamp of assurance comes on to you. And the only way that we can lose that is by turning away. And, you know, I'm not going to be one who will tell you once saved, always saved. That's not true. People can fall away from the Lord. And we understand that that can sometimes be very dramatic. It can be very sad. It can be very difficult when we try to understand how could this happen? How could it happen that we could see those who knew the Lord and walked in the Lord for so long finally get there and the Lord says to me, depart from me. Beloved, we need to be aware that there are goats in the body of Christ. And the Lord says, sheep and goats, that he divides between the sheep and the goats. That's not unbelievers, that's believers who have walked away. Interesting thing, scientifically, as we look at the genealogy of sheep and goats, some people think they come from the same genus, but they don't, they're two different ones. And they have different uh, numbers of, 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 of D- DNA. And so a sheep has 54 DNA, chromosomes and DNA. You add six and you get that number 60, add six to get to 60, you get a goat. What is six the number of? Man, flesh, flesh. What graduates somebody, and I say that sarcastically, from a sheep to a goat? Flesh. You can't fool the Lord. The Lord knows all about flesh and spirit. He knows about it from before the beginning of time. He knew what happened when Adam and Eve fell in the flesh to the spirit. He knew what happened when Uzzah touched the ark and fell down because of the flesh touching the spirit. Flesh and spirit cannot, cannot receive heaven. It must be pure, and there's only one way to be pure, and that's washed in the blood of Jesus Christ as we go forward. And so we're in a period of time where if you're born today, and you've heard me say this before because it's what I've been raised up to preach, but now more than ever, that if you're breathing and alive today in the body of Christ, we have an assignment, and that's a collective assignment. It's a congregate assignment across the earth to prepare the way. We have to first prepare ourselves before we can prepare the way for anyone else. How dare I, as a pastor, practice sin and try to preach righteousness? How dare I, as a pastor, lay hands on somebody and my hands are sin-stained instead of blood-stained in Christ? How dare I, as a pastor or a leader, produce the things of God and at the same time produce the things of Satan? You can't practice sin and righteousness. It's one or the other. And so the Lord is looking now at a time when he's putting a special call upon his people But we know that judgment must first start in the house of the Lord. Now, who would it start with? The new beginner that just walked in the door. They're still trying to sort things out. We were laughing with some friends yesterday about what I put my wife through who had really just come to think about getting out of the Catholic church and she met me and there I am prophesying like a fool all over the place just hitting her with everything under the sun and she thought wow this guy is absolutely gone it was the grace of God that kept her there no it's not the new beginner that the judgment begins in the house of the Lord with do you know where it begins with the pastor's with the pastors. Now I'm going to give you the scriptures so that, so that we understand what's going on in the earth right now. 
There's a shaking going on in the earth. There's a shaking going on in the body of Christ. Yes, it's local. Yes, it's in the state. Yes, it's in the county. Yes, it's in the country, but it's in the nations. Onward will tell you he goes to the nations. God's given him a nation in his hand. Pakistan, he knows the shaking's going on. He knows the floods that came through half of their country. He and Nita, they know it's a cleansing that God's preparing the way to show the miracles of God. Because when the government can't satisfy and solve a problem, it's only God. When politics can't legislate it, it's only God. When an army can't win it, it's only God. And that's what's happening throughout the earth right now. And heads are turning. Because God's allowing people to make choices. The one thing the Lord will never do is still our free will. Because if he did, we would not be in his image. We'd be just another animal creature. I don't like it when biology taught me young in my day and still does that the, the species human is an animal. We're not animals. We're not animals. They say, well, it's because of what you have biologically. No, 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 no. The species human is the image of God. And that makes us a level above everything. Just below the angels, but in some ways above them because eternally, spiritually, the DDA that we have will put us in a place as sons and daughters of the Almighty God Himself, both here on earth and in the place to come. You're very special. And God loves you so much that He's shaking the whole earth to prepare the way for His coming. You know, we shouldn't be those who are intimidated by the fact that we live in a time when things are moving very fast and we can all say Jesus is coming, right? I mean, you've got to have your head stuck in the ground and not believe in the second coming of the Lord to say, pretty soon come Jesus, come quickly Lord Jesus. Huh? How many of you praying that way? Come quickly Lord Jesus, come quickly Lord Jesus because we're finding out there's no solutions. Good is being called evil and evil is being called good and people are confused. Those who are supposed to be preaching good are practicing evil. And those who are practicing evil are calling good bad and saying that their evil is good. We don't understand it anymore. It's so confusing that if you stand up for the righteousness of God, you're called being narrow-minded, a hypocrite, and not fit to be part of the social sphere that we live in. And very quickly, it's compressing the righteousness of God into a minority, isn't it? Used to be, I remember, you know, I, 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 one of my degrees is in political science. It was very easy. We'd look at the demographics and look at stuff in college, and it was back in the 70s, and you know, the, the Christian, the moral majority. Remember the moral majority with Falwell? Remember that? That was a big majority. Man, if you got that majority to vote for you, you're in. Because that majority was almost 80%. Do you know what it is now? They're not sure. Because the people quit going to church. And that's how they try to measure it. They can't measure it by morality because morality doesn't work anymore for Christianity. Morality isn't even taught by the pulpit that much anymore. Because God forbid you, you mix it in with politics, now all of a sudden you, you, you've, you've reached over what's not written in the Bible about the separation of state and faith. That's not Bible. That's not Bible. That, that's democracy, but democracy isn't necessarily Bible. In fact, the democracy that was founded by people of God is now being used against the people of God to allow anything to go. Good is being called evil and evil is being called good because that's the time that we live in. Beloved, the United States is not going to be the light of the world. No. Jesus is the light of the world. And that light shines through you and I. We are citizens of heaven. Now, I'm patriotic. We have three of our children right now in the military and two more that served that right now are my son-in-laws. My father was a lifer in the military. So that's not the issue. It's not about loving country. It's about loving God and country. God and country. When you take God out of the country, it's hard to love something. 
Because now you have a false love, right? That's like somebody telling their wife, I love you, love you, and then going out and cheating on her 35 times. But I love you. I'm just satisfying a need, huh? Same thing when we try to take God out of faith and God out of country. We live in a time that Isaiah gave us. Can we put it up on the screen? Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2. I started with this some weeks back. I want to build upon it very quickly, very quickly. And I'm going to get us to Ezekiel 34. Isaiah 60, 1 and 2. It's going to come up on the screen. Keith, welcome back. Is that Keith back there? Oh, no, he's on the camera. Okay, here we go. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Stop. When was this written? How long ago with Isaiah? Right? 700. Say 700. About 700 years ago. Isaiah, more than almost anybody, any prophet, he received a messianic vision, but he didn't really know he had a messianic vision. He just knew God was telling him a lot of strange stuff. There was going to be a virgin that was going to have a baby. How would you like to prophesy that one? Huh? You're telling the people that already think you're strange and telling their daughters, don't go by that guy. It, it, a virgin's going to have a baby. He's gone. He's eating too many mushrooms. Something's wrong with that guy. Isaiah saw all kind of stuff, but he saw it not in levels of time. He saw it in eternity. And so we need to look at Scripture with eternal eyes, not just focusing on a specific moment in time. We need to understand that the Word of God is timeless because God is timeless. The Word of God is limitless because God's limitless. The Word of God has abundance for you because God has abundance. The Word of God is all truth because God is only truth. This is truth. The Word of God is truth. And the truth sets you free. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. When? Now. Now. Somebody say now. now. It's, it's risen upon you. This is a personal declaration of faith for you. Right in the now. And Isaiah released it. Now let's go on to the next one. But, for behold. Let's see saying. Wake up. Look. Behold. See. See. See that darkness shall cover the earth. Now. He's prophesying. Yes, he was prophesying to his people of that day. Yes, he understood the Babylonian captivity. Yes, he understood that the temple would be destroyed. He understood all of that. But what he really understood, without understanding it by releasing the word of God, was that a darkness shall cover the whole earth. Do you realize what his perception of the earth was in 700 B.C.? About this big. That's all. They understood Egypt, they understood Israel, they understood Syria and Lebanon, they understood a little bit of the areas out and beyond. They understood that Father Abraham came from Iraq. They, they understood that stuff. That was it. There wasn't all the hemispheres there are now. So when he's saying gross darkness shall cover the earth, he wasn't talking about that little bit of geography. He was talking about the earth. And deep darkness, the people. So gross darkness, gross, gross. I, I liken that to stench. It's no good. It's perverted. There's a perversion covering the earth. How many of you are experiencing the perversion covering the earth? There's a perversion covering the earth. I mean, when you walk into something and someone that's foul, it, it, it sticks to you, doesn't it? It's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. You, you, you feel it because of the purity of the Spirit of God in you. And deep darkness, what's it mean deep? Deep inside. Deep darkness to people. Like Timothy said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he said, he said their minds are seared. Their conscience is seared. They're in darkness. They don't know truth anymore. He's talking about believers. Their minds seared. How does that happen? How does it happen? I... It's beyond comprehension how people of God and especially pastors and preachers of God that God gives a big stage to and a big sphere of influence can somehow get their minds so seared that they believe they're beyond sin. I don't know how it happens. I know it doesn't happen in a day. I know it doesn't happen in a week. I know it's not a moment decision that's made. 
You know, Jim Baker, I haven't talked to Jim now in about, what, two years? Maybe two years, I don't know. Jim never got over being paranoid about what happened to him. And when I would be with him and alone with him and, and his wife, I'd pray for him, put him in my arms to encourage him and let him know that, you know, they weren't going to come lock him up again and take him away crying and screaming. Do you know that if, you, if he ever gave his testimony, he was in the back seat of the cruiser being taken to the penitentiary and he was curled up in a fetal position crying on the floor because he couldn't believe this was happening. And then when he got there, he got served divorce papers. And then he watched his house burn down. And then he watched everybody mock him. And he crumbled. They put him in solitaire. Because that's what they do a lot of times with pastors. You know, the penal community is not too easy on pastors. Pastors are supposed to know better. They put him in solitaire. He was there all by himself and he was going to give up his mind. He made a willful decision, I'm going to give up my mind. I'm going to give up my soul. Two reasons. One, he felt like he could never again deserve God. Bad place to be. Bad place to be. What's left when that hope is gone? And number two, he just didn't look at the future. It was too dark, too gloomy, no hope. Everybody had abandoned him. Nothing left. No way out ever. And he was in the corner, whimpering just about ready to do it, and he heard a voice. He heard a little voice. Jim, don't do it. Jim, don't do it. Jim, don't do it. He got up and crawled over to the bars. And there was a black guard there who said, God will save you. Beloved, there's always somebody there in that moment, that last moment for you that God is going to anoint to get you. God goes after his own. Jesus goes after his own. He said, I'll leave the 99 to go for the one. And I'll bring that one back home. I've been there. Have you been there? Have you been there? Has God rescued you? when you destroyed yourself? Has God rescued you when you told him, I don't want you anymore? I'm the only one. I'm the only one. You don't need to make a confession. I'm okay with it. I can carry it. <laughs> Big shoulders. Because Jesus is carrying me. Amen. Amen. Without him, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And you know what the foundation is? You know what the foundation is that every one of us should stand on, and especially pastors in this day? Do you know what it is? F-O-T-L. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. What's lacking in the body of Christ is the fear of the Lord. That's what's lacking. What's lacking in leadership? The fear of the Lord. Compromise. Hypocrisy. You know, at the heyday, when I call it the heyday, and I'm so glad God delivered me from it, when, you know, for whatever reason, I became extremely popular and was getting invitations all over the world and sent out from the Inter International Christian Embassy and, and 100,000 people in Mexico and big crowds in different parts of the world and people reaching out to me and my book was this thick to go and go and go and go. We went to Australia. We went to 10 cities. That's a lot of cities. That's almost all the major cities. There's one more left in Australia. And it was just before Franklin Graham coming in, so I was sort of sent in to prepare that way for him to come to preach saving of souls. Mine was repentance. <laughs> My wife joined us about halfway through because we had the little children and we found a lady to stay with them. The night she got there, our prayer team came to me. We had an all-night prayer vigil going 24-7. And a woman I trust, who hears from the Lord, she said, Frank, the devil 
has a murder assignment on your children. My wife just landed. I said, hmm, now what do we do? We got to pray. We prayed all night. I felt the release. I said, we're okay. You don't have to go home. We're all right. We're going to be all right. Preached three times that day, three different places, wore out. Left everything there. I can tell you, I can tell honestly before God, I, I left everything in Australia. I poured it all out. I came home a wrinkled rag. Two days later, in Washington, D.C., in the ballroom of the Hilton, the end time handmaidens speaking, preaching. 4,000 women, prophetic, crazy women. Love them. Right? They were just, they all prophesied. They were like, da, 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 da. And Gwen Shaw, who was a mentor of mine, and Grandma Gwen, she said, Frank, trust you, you do whatever God tells you to do. I got up there, and the Lord said, pluck souls from hell. I said, what? Pluck souls from hell. And out of my mouth, I said, you know what? I want you to begin to shout out the names of your loved ones, the ones that the Lord gives you that you're, you're believing God for salvation for. Let's pluck them from hell. Begin to shout out. The place shouted out for about 20 minutes. Names, just names, names, names. The first one out of my mouth was my nephew, my godson. It's a great time. I prayed for people until, what, five in the morning? They were laying all over the hotel in elevators going up and down, people laid out, done. I had nothing left in me. I collapsed at 5 a.m. in the morning. Still tired from Australia, different. Crawled up to the room. We went home. Two nights later, the phone rings at 2 a.m. in the morning. My wife answers it. She goes, it's your brother. I said, what? It's your brother. Frank, yes, Christian's dead. Chet, what are you saying? He's dead. Click, hangs up. Didn't tell me where he was, didn't tell me what happened. I got dressed in about 35 seconds, jumped in my car, and ran to Southside Hospital. I don't know, was it God? I walked in and he was there with his hand in his heads. Looked up at me, I said, where is he? He said, he's in there. I started in and a chaplain came and grabbed me by the arm. He said, you can't go in there. I said, you can't stop me. So he said, well, I have to go with you. I said, you can go with me, but if you don't have enough faith to raise the dead, then get the hell out of here. And I literally meant the hell out of here. Not him, hell out of here. You're not stopping me. You gotta remember something. I just got done praying for people all through Australia. There were headlines in the newspapers about the miracles. Washington, D.C., people healed, getting out of wheelchairs, walking, miracle, miracle, miracles, miracles. Walked in there, body broken, neck broken. Prayed to get up, I felt a jolt, nothing. Laid myself on his body, breathed in, nothing. Felt a jolt, breathed again, nothing, got up. Prayed, worshiped, screamed, laid back on him. Rise! If I be a man of God, rise! Nothing, just a shake in the body. I walked out of there. My brother, who was a non-believer, looked at me with some hope. I went like this, and he broke. And then I began to hear the cackle of hell, laughing. We got one of yours. We told you we would. We got your godson. We got him. It's one thing to pay the price alone. It's another thing for your children to pay the price. I've been arrested in the Soviet Union. I've been mocked. I've been persecuted. I've been counted out and gone multiple times. But when it hits your children, it's hard. It's a price that's too much to pay, isn't it? I dragged my feet, went and told my mother. 6 a.m., I wanted to be there before they heard the news. 
She knew something was wrong when I walked in the door and she opened it in her house coat. What happened? Christian's dead. She goes, blessed be the Lord. I said, why? Blessed be the Lord. Went back home. My wife crying, me crying. She goes, you know what, honey? This is too much. I said, yeah, I'm with you. Innocent young boy, 16 years old. Lord, it's too much. The cackles of hell, laughing, mocking. That was one of the times I wish I didn't have a prophetic ear. Went through the whole thing with the funeral, broken, feeling powerless. I said to the Lord, I'm done. I'm done. Do with me what you want. I'm done. I'm done. I don't have the faith. I don't have the power. For whatever reason, I'm not going to put this on my family. I'm done. Am I the only one who ever quit? We went to the Graveyard, Poland. My father in our van, my brother and his wife, Laura Lee and I and my mom. My father sitting next to me had Parkinson's, his hands were shaking. We buried him. We went back that night in the rain because my brother wanted to go back. I said, Lord, the one thing that my nephew always liked was to see bright clouds at sunset. It was overcast. I said, truth, my words. My words, walking alone in the cemetery, everybody over there. I said, listen, can't you even at least do this for us? what I said. I'm being honest. I was angry. I was mad. I was bitter. I was defeated. I gave up. So it was belligerent. Can't you even at least do this for us? You have to give us this kind of weather? Huh? How much worse can it get? Dark, gloomy, wet, cold, dead. How much worse does it have to get? Have you no compassion? What kind of a God are you? Yeah, I'm being honest. I'm the only one. Only thing about me and God is I said it like it was in the heart. That I can tell you. I never kept something here that didn't come out of here. Got me in a lot of trouble in my age. Start walking back and all of a sudden we leave. Get in the van, coming up out of Poland on the hill. And my father's hand starts pointing up like this. I follow him, and the cloud's blinking, and there's a little bit of sun starting to come through. And then all of a sudden, the clouds part. And I look, and I see seven fingers, a couple contrails of airplanes, some wisps, whatever it was, but it was like seven fingers pointing down at us. I pulled over. Listen. Pulled over got out with my brother. He looked up and he says, I think he made it. I said, what? I think he made it. We go back to his house. Now the young men are coming in, his schoolmates. They don't, you know, 16-year-old kids, what are they going to say? They don't know what to do. They're feeling so out of place. They're, they're feeling hurt. They're feeling despaired. They're feeling guilty. They're 16-year-old people. So everybody else with the adults is in there. I'm sitting with them because I feel just like them. Man, it's stupid. I didn't know what to do. One young man, I said, hey, Christian ever stay over your house? Yeah. He ever go to church with you? Nah. Nah. 
Next young guy says, oh, Mr. Media, he stayed over my house. I'll never forget this kid. He's a big guy, he had feet about this long. I'm looking at his feet and I'm looking at him. I said, yeah, when? He goes, Easter. Now mind ye, this was in June. Easter had been in April. No, July. It was in July. So it was a few months beforehand. I said, so did you take him to church? Oh yeah, he got up and went with us. I said, where'd you go? He goes, Baptist Poland. I said, oh good, they had to have an Easter service there. I said, did the pastor preach about Jesus? He goes, yes, he did. I said, did he have an altar call? He goes, yes, he did. I said, did my nephew go up? He said, yes, he did. The very next day, I got a phone call from what was then Calvary. A lady that went to Calvary. She said, Frank Amedia. I said, yes. She goes, the Lord told me to call you. I said, why? She goes, I don't know, but I have to tell you this. Your nephew would come into church alone on Sundays. It would sit in church. His parents thought he was going to tennis lessons because I didn't believe. I said, oh. you didn't get one of mine. The Lord cut one of mine. My very next speaking assignment was CBN up in Virginia on television. They had asked me six months before for what your message is. You know, that's how religion is, right? What's your message? I, I don't even know what I'm going to say today, let alone six months from now. And I mean literally today, I didn't know what I was going to say till today. So it's, I, I played Ouija Bible in my office. Did you ever do that? Put up Psalms 19 a moment, please. Verse 1. That's what I hit. I'm thinking, <laughs> I got them. I'm just going to give them anything because when I get there, I'm going to say whatever I want to say anyway. You got it? Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Seven fingers from the heavens. My brother, I think he made it. What do you think I preached on? On CBN. Beloved, beloved, we have a Lord that conquered hell. He conquered hell. Hell can't get you, hell can't get one of your own unless we let him. And even when we're at our wit's end, when we're wore out, when we're weary, when nothing has made sense, when we're betrayed, when we're deceived, when we're cast out, even when we're so fragile that the slightest word shakes us, even when our confidence is gone and our trust is betrayed beyond repair, we think, Jesus got it. He's got it. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to go through. Oh, you want me to just tell you you're never going to go through anything? You got the wrong church. I want to prepare you to go through it. Amen? You're victorious already, but you're also an enemy of the devil. Unless you're not spirit-filled, empowered in the Lord, and just a milquetoast Christian who's compromising in hypocrisy, he'll leave them alone. Because they're his greatest advocates. People that go out and say, I represent Jesus in sin like hell, they're his greatest advocates for hell. Because they destroy people in the church and people outside the church. I want to read you something out of Ezekiel 34 before we have communion today. Just uh, go to Ezekiel 34 with me and I'm going to read through a couple scriptures real quick. If you put it up, please. Now Ezekiel was very prophetic and he also was preparing 
both for the time that he was in, but with a very prophetic mindset, right? We've hated to be that prophet. Laying on one, and all that, that guy went through some stuff. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, verse two, son of man, prophesy against, listen, against the shepherds. Prophesy and say unto them, thus say the Lord, God unto the shepherds, woe be to the shepherds, and I'm saying of Israel, but we understand that you've been grafted in, right? This is a word. This isn't just to the nation Israel. This is to the shepherds. This is to the pastors. This is to the ones who God has entrusted with the gospel. This is to a special elite group who have been entrusted to serve, to be servants, not to be served. Woe be to the shepherds that do not, that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the good wool, the good clothes, the good living, the comfort living. Multi-thousand dollar suits, rings, worth enough to pay somebody's mortgage on a home. Driven around in limousines and cars. Mansions, not one, but two, but three. Suits that cost $3,000 a piece, and that's a cheap one. Shoes that cost $600 a piece, and that's a cheap one. Splurging money at whatever time and every whim. More money in the coffers than ever necessary. You close yourself with the wool. You kill them that are fed. How do you kill them? Spiritually. Spiritually kill them. Oh my God. Don't fear the one who can kill you, but fear the one that can give you the second death. You know my prayer? I pray it. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I pray it all the time, Lord. Don't let blood come on these hands. Father, don't let me fall. Don't let me sin. Father, put my tail on fire. If sin comes my way, let me run as fast as I can. My God, do not let me lead sheep astray. Don't let these hands have blood. And then, the weak, you don't strengthen them. You don't heal those who are sick. You don't bound up the brokenhearted. You don't bring back those who are driven away and you don't even seek the one who's lost. But with force and cruelty, you rule over them. Ding dong. Next. So they're scattered because of the shepherd. And now they're food for the devil, for the world, for the demons, because they're lost. And the beasts of the field, the world, that they're scattered to. Breaks my heart. I believe that is the heart of Jesus. He's crying. He's crying for the scattered ones. By his grace, he's holding back, but not much longer. Listen to what he says about the shepherds. He goes on, the disease you haven't strengthened. Verse 7, therefore, shepherds, pastors, hear the word of the Lord. How are they going to hear the word of the Lord unless you and I preach it? Huh? They have a Bible, they're not reading it. Unless God visits somebody in the middle of the night whose heart and, and mind has been seared, it's got to be preached by you and I. We've got to become courageous and not afraid of lawyers and lawsuits and what people will say and people won't do. Because if we don't preach it, it's not going to be heard. My prayer is that the mega churches begin to preach it, but first, God forgive me 
maybe some of them got to get in line first. It's hard to give up comfort, beloved. It's hard to give up pride and arrogance. One of the worst things that can happen to pastors is people telling them how great they are. (laughs) Forgive me, but when somebody tells me I did something wonderful, you just caused me about 30 minutes of humility and repentance. I don't go to bed with that in my mind, in my heart. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, beloved. Hear the word of the Lord, pastors. Next. As I live, this is the living God. As I live, he's swearing on himself. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Keep going. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Now he hits it. Thus says the Lord God, I'm against you. I'm going to take my flock from you. I'm going to take them from your hands. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep. You're not going to feed my sheep anymore. And the shepherds, you're not going to eat anymore either. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. Do you understand? The Lord is talking about the business of the ministry. You understand that? When ministry becomes business and the I becomes more more important than the I am, that's what he's talking about. When it becomes more important to maintain enough funds to pay a building mortgage that maybe you shouldn't have had in the first place. When it becomes more important to maintain to be on television when maybe you got nothing else to say. Maybe there's somebody else saying it better than you are. When it becomes more important to lay it all down and say, Lord, here I am. Forgive me. Lord says, I'm going to take them from them. Next. For thus says the Lord, indeed, I myself will search my sheep and seek them out. God is seeking the Holy Ghost on his sheep that have been scattered right now. I once heard a African-American preacher down at the Y preach about the Holy Ghost being like a bloodhound. He said, sending out the Holy Ghost like a bloodhound to go get my lost ones. And I thought, I like that. I like that. Sniffing them, finding them, herding them home, bringing them back. Finally this, I think you got the point. This is the time we live in, beloved. Gross darkness over the earth, gross darkness in the people, the glory of the Lord shining upon you. You can tread through the furnace, you're gonna be fine. You won't come even out smelling like you burnt. You can go through that firestorm, you're gonna be all right. You will be preserved through the hurricane, your place won't be touched. Even though everything around you may fall, yours shall be preserved. You can be not against, you can be persecuted, you can be spoken against, you can be cast down. Do you know how many times it has been prophesied and publicized that my walk with God was over and I would never be a preacher? Three times. You know what happened to all three of those people? Gone. You know what I did about them? Thank you, Italian. Stay quiet. You're not finished until God says you're finished. And God hasn't finished doing with you until he puts an exclamation point on it with a big smile. Because God will not allow you to slip away without victory. Come on. God will not allow you to slip away without victory. God says, therefore, there is no condemnation. Come on. Nothing, nothing can overcome you. No weapon formed against you can prosper or prevail. Every tongue that's spoken against you must bow down to Jesus Christ. You are strong and powerful in the Lord God. And the end of your story is, Lord, I'm not limping into heaven. I'm dancing in. Let's go. That's who you are. But there's a time now. There's a time right now where the Lord is breaking the yokes off of the sheep that pastors have put on them. I'm picking on pastors and I've been doing this for a long time, you know that. I'm not kumbaya and ecumenical. 
Don't go to them, don't care about it. Not interested to waste my time. So this is nothing new from this pulpit and from me. I had to hear the message to myself first. I had to crawl back to God in repentance. I had to thank him for keeping me from becoming a superstar evangelist with a big head and people carrying my books and putting them up on the, on the podium, telling me how wonderful I am and how great I am. I had, to, I had to thank God that he separated me from all of that. Because how could I preach a message that I don't practice? And you know what? God has a way. When you walk that way, he'll make your sphere of influence bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It may not be on billboards. It may not be publicized all over the place. But trust me, God will make your sphere of influence bigger and bigger. Do you know you can speak a word to a person who has a great sphere of influence and it can change the world? From a little place in Canfield. And God gets the glory. And you, don't, don't you want it to where you remain anonymous? Hey, who went in the hospital and prayed for that person? Jesus. Who raised that person from the dead? Jesus. Who gave that message, that word of Jesus? If you read that on, he says, I'm going to break the yokes off their necks. I saw that vision when I was first saved in 1981 of many. And I saw the cattle coming through with broken, bleeding necks. And God laid them in a field and set them free. That's the time we live in. God's breaking it. But I've got good news for you. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you and so shine upon you. The mercy and goodness of God will walk with you everywhere you go. But stay true. Hold on. Be truthful. Be honest. Can we pass out the communion elements, please? This is the first of the month, and typically we try in the first of the month to have communion. Many times it's, it's, it's a lot of the service. It won't be today. We're just going to have communion together and bless God and believe God for it. For those of you online, if you have a moment to go grab something, please do. A little bread, a little juice, water if it's all you got. We're just going to have communion together. Why do we do communion? because that is a special time. That is a time when we fellowship with Jesus in the spirit. It's not just about bread and it's not just about wine. It's not uh, a formula. It's not an agenda. It's something that we do together and we know that we are fellowshipping with Jesus in the spirit. Not just in the fellowship of his sufferings, but in the fellowship of his victory, in the fellowship of his salvation.